It's November 7th. I'm Brian Dean Wright, former CIA operations officer, and this is The Wright Report. Hey, good day to you, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Right Report, your daily news podcast. I've got four briefs for you this morning that are shaping America and the world. First up, the White House plans to send $100 million in aid to the Palestinian people. But an inspector general is telling us this morning that that money is at high risk for going to Hamas. Second, Russia has a new supplier of key artillery shells, and they are outproducing both us and Europe. I'm going to tell you who it is and why that is bad news for not just Ukraine, but for America as well. Third, Chinese nationals are operating something called crypto mines in at least 12 U.S. states, including one that is right next to a nuclear weapons facility. That's probably not good. Details in a bit. Fourth, I got a question for you. Do you trust America's media? Well, I got a poll about that, and we are going to compare your answer to your fellow Americans. Later, a listener question today from Jason out in Arkansas. He's wondering what America has that our enemies don't. In other words, what fundamental strengths or assets do we have that our adversaries lack? So we'll talk about that big picture stuff in about 20, 25 minutes, give or take. But first, let's get to our top stories of the morning. Your taxpayer money is at high risk of ending up in the hands of Middle Eastern terrorists, including Hamas and Hezbollah. So here's why. About three weeks ago, the White House promised to send Palestinian civilians about $100 million in aid. As Joe Biden said at the time, quote, this money will support more than one million displaced Palestinians for, well, emergency needs in the Gaza Strip, end quote. But the Biden administration's inspector general at the federal agency who's going to disperse these funds, that's called the USAID, well, that inspector general is now saying that this money is not necessarily just going to go to the civilians. Some of it will almost certainly go to terrorists, including, but not limited to, Hamas. As the inspector general explained in a report last Friday, the United States government will give this $100 million in cash, but to international aid organizations. Unfortunately, some of them end up giving that money or the supplies to terror groups. And that happens through one of three ways. First, the terrorists force or coerce the aid organizations or the workers to give them the money using threats or targeted violence. Second, Hamas or other terror organizations impose what they call a tax or a fee on either the cash or the supplies. Or third, Terrorists demand that the aid or the cash goes to certain people or groups of people that are either terror sympathizers or supporters. In fact, the IG listed several examples of all three of those things happening previously in the Middle East, resulting in millions of your taxpayer dollars going to fund international terror organizations. But not to worry, or so the IG is now saying, this time they will work very hard to prevent that from happening, including by conducting some pre-vetting measures. Not sure exactly what those are. And also, they're going to ask aid organizations to certify in writing that they will not do anything bad with the money, which is, that's great. Now, here's what's interesting. As the IG released this report last Friday, the very next day, Mr. Biden's special envoy to the region told reporters that there is no evidence that Hamas is diverting or stealing aid once it gets into the Gaza Strip. And that's curious, because as we've just discussed, it has already happened in this region and in this area. 
Plus, we also have reports from the United Nations that Hamas is already doing this, stealing things from the UN warehouses right now, mostly fuel and medical supplies. But nevertheless, the Biden White House plans to move forward with giving 100 million of your taxpayer dollars to the Palestinians. Indeed, Biden spokesman John Kirby said yesterday that they have been pressing the Israeli government for humanitarian pauses in the fighting to deliver this $100 million worth of aid. Well, so far, the Israelis have said no to that request, but this full court press by the White House, it continues as of this morning. So there you have it, folks. The latest facts and data on your taxpayer dollars going to the Middle East with a high risk that that will get into the pockets of terrorists. Let me now pivot to my analysis and opinion. So I think that most reasonable people would say that uh, given $100 million to aid organizations, knowing that high likelihood that's going to end up in the pockets of terror organizations, that's silly or crazy. Now, what I think is a far better solution is to do one of two things. First, do nothing and let Arab governments do it, provide all the aid. Or second, do what the country of Jordan just did. They coordinated with the Israeli military just a couple of days ago to do an airdrop of medical supplies. In other words, they they cut out the middlemen, those international aid organizations, and they got the supplies directly to the people by parachuting it in. Now, to be fair, I am sure that Hamas fighters rushed into the drop zones and took some amount of the food or water or medicines. But compare that to dropping off pallets of cash to international organizations or the U.N., it seems like doing nothing or those airdrops might be a little bit better in terms of a good option. With that, we move on to our second report of the morning. We are getting confirmation, ladies and gentlemen, from European nations that neither they nor the United States can keep up with Ukraine's demands for artillery, a country that is firing 9,000 rounds a day. Meanwhile, the Russians, they've got a new supplier. It is North Korea. And they just dropped off one million new artillery rounds to Moscow with more on the way. And that is certainly bad for Ukraine, but it is made all the more remarkable, I think, when just two months ago, the U.S. Pentagon said that North Korea's supply wouldn't make much of a difference. So we're going to talk about what that assessment that is quite frankly failed, what that means just in a minute. But first, let's talk about this report that we're getting from Europe. Two weeks ago, Estonia's prime minister was meeting with other European leaders to discuss the latest on Ukraine. And the prime minister said that Europe's weapons manufacturers are far behind in their promises of providing artillery shells to Ukraine. Quote, I'm very worried about the production numbers of ammunition. The promise that we have given to Ukraine is to deliver one million artillery rounds. And that is behind schedule. End quote. Okay, well, how far behind? Eh, depending on who's doing the math, Europe has delivered around a half a million shells this year, which is at a pace that is far short of that one million goal. And to give you a sense of why, France is currently manufacturing around 1,000 shells a month. And of course, they're sending those shells on to Kiev, but Ukraine is firing 9,000 a day. And while it is true that France and Germany and others are increasing their production, it is not fast enough to match those firing rates. Plus, European governments have so far refused to sign long-term contracts that would encourage weapons companies to build out new factories. In other words, Europe just isn't on a war footing. But that is not true for Russia or its new weapons supplier in North Korea. Now, to refresh our memories on that, I briefed you back on September 18th 
that Russia's Vladimir Putin signed a deal with Pyongyang's dictator, Mr. Kim Jong-un, for some North Korean artillery. It's called a 152 artillery, an older variety from the Soviet era. Now, as I shared with you, that artillery from North Korea, it's not very good quality. Some of it drifts off course. Some of it doesn't uh, explode when it lands. But that doesn't matter to the Russians. They just need volume because they're firing anywhere from 2.5 to 10 million shells a year, depending, of course, on the month of conflict and who's counting. But the point is this. Intel services now believe that North Korea has already sent Russia over 1 million of these 152 shells since just August. And that number is far outpacing the West and our supply to the Ukrainians of those 155 shells. And that's bad. But it is also remarkable because of this. In mid-September, just two months ago, the then U.S. chairman of the Joint Chiefs, a fellow named Mark Milley, said that North Korea's supply of artillery was not that big of a deal. Quote, Will it have a huge difference? I'm skeptical of that. I doubt that it would be decisive, end quote. Well, it appears that Mr. Milley was very wrong. Europe, as we now confirm this morning, is falling short of its promises. The U.S., we are now diverting part of our supply to Israel. And yeah, the North Koreans are stepping up their production. And that is part of the reason why last week, Ukraine's most senior general said that the war has bogged down into a stalemate. Indeed, Russia, he said, has key advantages to win this war. We discussed that on Friday. So those are the latest facts and data on this ongoing war in Ukraine and trying to understand who's winning, who's losing, and why. Let me now pivot to my analysis and opinion on all of that. And actually, let's take a moment this morning to step back and look at the big picture. And to do so, let's go back in time. In March of last year, almost two years ago after Russia invaded Ukraine, Joe Biden delivered a very important speech in Poland where he said that the goal of this war was to remove Vladimir Putin from power. Quote, for God's sake, this man cannot remain in power, end quote. Now, a month later, Biden's Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin echoed this exact same remark by saying that the goal is to, quote, see Russia weakened to the degree that it can't do the kinds of things that it has done in invading Ukraine, end quote. All right. In other words, we need regime change in Moscow and to neuter their military. Okay, got it. Next, we have some economic goals that we set a few years ago. The White House and European powers announced a whole bunch of economic sanctions on Russia that the White House has promised would deliver, quote, a crushing blow to Moscow's ability to sustain itself. In other words, the goal is to collapse the Russian economy as well as regime change and to neuter the military. Okay, fourth and finally, we would accomplish these other goals in part by rushing in billions of dollars of weaponry. And that would include drones and ammo to increasingly advanced missiles and tanks and jets. We would also provide them tactical intelligence and special forces to guide ground operations. And we've done all of that. In fact, as I speak to you this morning, Ukrainian pilots are training in Tucson, Arizona on some F-16s. Well, flash forward nearly two years to today. Right? We have spent well over $100 billion now in deficit spending, with the White House now asking for another $61 billion. And here is what that $100 billion has bought you. And again, comparing it to our goals from a couple of years ago. First, Vladimir Putin is still in power. Second, Russia's military has been degraded, but not neutered. Instead, it has fought Ukraine 
the U.S. and Europe to a stalemate. At least that, again, that is according to Ukraine's leading general who said that last week. And the F-16s aside, we cannot provide Ukraine the artillery or other weapon systems that they really want, either because it is too darn risky or we just can't produce it fast enough like that artillery. Meanwhile, Russia's economy has not collapsed. Instead, its trade partners in places like China, India, Saudi Arabia, and Brazil have all stepped up their purchases of things like oil and gas. And here's something that you might not know. Europe continues to purchase that stuff too. Buyers in mostly Belgium and Spain are snapping up record amounts of liquefied natural gas, or LNG so far this year, from Moscow and filling up Russia's bank accounts. Finally, and speaking of Europe, countries like Germany are rolling back their commitments to increase their military spending. Instead, they're choosing to do one of two things. Either first, they're paying down their national debts, or second, they're spending more money on domestic needs like social welfare payments. At least that is true in the case of Germany. The point, my friends, is this. Almost two years after the White House and Congress, the Pentagon and the CIA went all in for Ukraine, we've got nothing to show for it. And that's being charitable, frankly. So the question is why? Why did this not go well? Well, here's what I think. As I first started saying to you all back in February and March, almost two years ago on my old podcast, the very same people who failed you in Iraq and Afghanistan, they are largely the same people in D.C. right now at the White House or Pentagon or the CIA who have organized our efforts in Ukraine and they're failing again. Same generals, same spy masters, same White House, really. So given that, it is no wonder that we're failing. Nor is it any wonder that we're learning this this morning. Late last week, NBC News is reporting that the Biden White House and European officials are now speaking with Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky about a peace deal with Russia and what he might have to give up to Moscow, and I mean territory. The talks with Mr. Zelensky, by the way, are being described as delicate and, quote, a reflection of conditions on the ground in Ukraine, end quote. Yes, conditions on the ground that we can now fairly describe as a disaster, a predictable, very expensive disaster, all created, ladies and gentlemen, by the elites who run Washington, D.C., who know very little about the world. And it appears they know even less about how to win a war. With that, let's take our first break of the morning. We'll be right back. Well, the world is just awful lately, isn't it? And sometimes it makes you just want to crawl in a bed and scream into your mattress to make it all go away. Well, if you do, just make sure that your mattress is made by GhostBed. Seriously, folks, GhostBed makes the finest mattresses on the market today with craftsmanship and high-quality materials that you can feel as you fall asleep. And I would know. I have their Lux model, and I bought it because I sleep hot. And that thing helps keep me cool all night long for a great night's sleep. Now... People have asked, how does this technology work to cool you? I don't know. Magic? Maybe little elves in there somewhere with ice cubes? Probably. But it doesn't matter. Their mattresses, ladies and gentlemen, are top notch. And if you don't believe me, that's okay. They have a 101-day trial period plus free shipping and returns, so you can try it out in the comfort of your own home. So go to ghostbed.com backslash right. That's W-R-I-G-H-T. And you can explore all of their incredible models. And right now, they are giving my listeners 40% off their ghost bed purchases. But you got to use that code right. Again, 
Go to ghostbed.com backslash right, W-R-I-G-H-T, and get yourself the good night's sleep that you deserve. Folks, if there were ever a product that you should consider, man, this is it. Jace Medical. They provide an emergency supply of prescriptions and antibiotics. And here's why you should consider them. As listeners know, I have spoken about how China and India control most of our prescription drugs, including antibiotics. Well, what happens if a war should break out over, say, Taiwan or maybe a pandemic again? Well, we all know what happens. Our supplies of critical products get interrupted, and that is not acceptable if your life depends on it. So that is why I am proud to tell you about JaceMedical.com. And here's how it works. You fill out a simple form at jasemedical.com. Then you speak with a board-certified physician. And within days, your order arrives at your home for emergency use. And I'll tell you, this is not for casual use, folks. Talk to your normal doctors for sniffles and such. This is for emergency use with potency lasting for years should the worst ever come. So, friends, go to jacemedical.com, enter promo code RIGHT, that is W-R-I-G-H-T, and you will get a discounted order. Again, that is promo code RIGHT at jasemedical.com. Welcome back to The Right Report. Let's continue with our reports this morning with a pivot towards domestic news. The New York Times is telling us this morning that Chinese nationals, some of whom have direct connections to the Communist Party back in Beijing, they are operating something called cryptocurrency mines in at least 12 states in the U.S. For folks unaware, these mines are actually massive computer farms sucking up tons of electricity to create things called bitcoins or other cryptocurrencies. But this mining aside, one particular facility is getting the Pentagon's attention this morning. It's in Cheyenne, Wyoming, just across the street from a Microsoft data center that handles U.S. military secrets. It is also just down the road from Warren Air Force Base, which houses nuclear-armed missiles. These Chinese crypto mines, uh, well, all over the country, but the one in Wyoming, it came to the attention of the Pentagon only after a report last year from Microsoft, who warned the Pentagon that this Chinese company could conduct, quote, full-spectrum intelligence collection operations, end quote. They went on to explain that that could include sabotage operations, especially on the electricity grid, plus signals intelligence, human intelligence, and cyber operations. But as I noted at the top, this uh, Cheyenne outpost, shall we say, is not alone. Chinese nationals also operate them in at least 12 other states, including Texas, Arkansas, Oklahoma, Ohio, Tennessee, and Washington State. Now, if you were wondering why these people are here, here is part of the answer. Two years ago, Beijing outlawed this crypto mining in their country, and that led U.S. politicians at the time, including Republicans, to say that we should embrace these uh, Chinese entrepreneurs, as they were called, to encourage them to relocate to the U.S. And they did. The politicians, by the way, who uh, brought these folks over, or encouraged them to come, I should say. Well, those politicians include Wyoming's Senator Cynthia Loomis and Representative Tom Emmer of Minnesota, both Republicans. One final note, both the Pentagon and the FBI are aware of these various crypto mines and how they might be used to conduct intel or sabotage operations. But both agencies are claiming 
that they have taken certain steps, they say, to minimize any intel operations, though they did not share what these steps might be. So those are the latest faction data out of Wyoming and these 12 other states this morning. Let me pivot now to my analysis and opinion. Folks, whenever we talk about Chinese people or citizens living in the U.S., we've got to remember this. Back in 2017, the communists in Beijing passed a rule known as the National Intelligence Law. And it says that any Chinese citizen anywhere in the world must comply when the Communist Party or the government or the military or intel services ask their citizens to do something. Right? There's no debate. There's, there's no saying no or hiring an attorney to get out of it. If you are Chinese, you have to say yes when they come knocking at your door. Either that or you and your family pay a price. So knowing that, we now have 12 states in this country that are full of people operating crypto mines that are hooked up to our electricity grid. And in one case, located across the street from our nuclear weapons. So I ask you, does that sound smart? <laughs> I'll let you answer that. Second, if you believe that the FBI and the Pentagon have a good grip on this problem, I've got a bridge in New York, I'll sell you. Because they don't. And here's why I know this. So recall my previous briefs where I've shared with you that the FBI opens a new China-related counterintelligence case every 10 hours of every day of every year. Right? That means that there are not enough agents to keep up. And here's part of the reason why. There are over 5 million Chinese citizens living in the U.S. right now. And that is not counting the record number of Chinese illegals that are crossing the border each month. So stepping back, let's imagine what these five plus million citizens will do or have to do because of that 2017 national intelligence law, right? They have to comply. Imagine if we get into a war. Well, the bottom line, my friends, is America has a China problem and it is so bad and it is so pervasive and so profound that all the easy solutions are gone, right? We are left with only very aggressive and frankly controversial options like revoking all visas for all Chinese citizens in this country and putting them on planes or boats and telling them to go home. We also could perhaps put a full stop on all green card applications, all citizenship applications that are currently being processed. Because if we don't do those things, and God forbid we end up in a conflict with Beijing, you will have a literal Chinese army in your backyard of 5 million people or more or in the case of Wyoming, a possible base of sabotage or intel collection all within one mile of your nuclear weapons. So if you agree that this fact of 5 million plus people who have to respond to a 2017 law is a little bit bonkers, that we've got a Chinese army in our backyards, here's what I would recommend. Check out the link to where these Chinese crypto operators are located throughout this country in those 12 states. And of course, you will see that in the transcripts. If you are in one of these 12 states, right, see what city or county these crypto mines are in and work with your local or state officials to kick them out. In other words, you and I, we can't fix the Pentagon. We can't fix the FBI or the White House, but we can go to one of our neighbors who are state senators or representatives or county commissioners and say, it's time that the communists have got to go. I got to go home. And the odds are these neighbors of yours will agree. Finally, this morning, I got a question for you. Do you trust America's media? 
Well, that question was asked of your fellow Americans by Gallup polling over the past month, and results were released about a week ago. And here's what they found. A record number of you, 68%, have little to no trust in America's media. In fact, a record 39% of you say that you have no trust at all. Interestingly, Democrats are the only group of Americans that generally do trust the media, about 58% of them. But that is not the case of Republicans or independents. One other interesting thing. Younger Democrats tend not to trust the media either joining Republicans and independents and finding that mainstream outlets are not really worthy of our serious consideration. So there you have it. Just a fun little poll for us this morning with one final tidbit. There was a related survey done by the folks at Pew Research back in the spring, and they found that 87% of Americans believe that the news that they hear on podcasts will be mostly accurate. So I consider that to be a challenge and a good one. So I'm going to keep sharing what I learn and believe to be true, offering you not just my words, but those transcripts too, with all the sources to keep me honest. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude this morning's episode of The Right Report. But I've got one more thing before I let you go. We'll be right back. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial, LLC, member SIPC. Welcome back to The Right Report with one more thing before I let you go. It is a listener question today sent to us from one of my paid subscribers at rightreport.substack.com. Jason from Caves Springs, Arkansas wrote in with a very timely question, I think. To paraphrase, he said, Brian... What do we have in America that is good or better than other countries have, strategically speaking? In other words, if we were to get into a war, what do we have that our enemies or our adversaries don't have that says, well, we're going to win? So this, I think, is a really cool question and a big one. So let's start by putting offensive operations aside. Let's just focus on can we defend this country and with what? So... Looking at a map of America or thinking of it in our minds, we've got the Pacific Ocean to the west, we've got the Atlantic to our east, and those are two very big oceans that prevent most adversaries from attacking the homeland from those two directions, and that's good. Meanwhile, to our north, we have Canada, which is a pretty friendly nation and a critical trade partner, so I think that we can count the northern front as pretty friendly territory for now. To our south, though, is the Caribbean Sea and Mexico. I'd argue that those are our Achilles heel. Indeed, I think that the South American nations or their friends in places like Moscow or Beijing could use this area as a, a lily pad for invasions. In fact, I think that we're seeing a taste of that with our collapsed border. 
with the resulting cartel violence and the profound migration crisis. But still, geographically speaking, we're sitting pretty good in three out of four cardinal directions. I compare that to, say, China or Russia or European powers. They've got a dozen or more nations to deal with at their border, so there's that. All right, next, let's talk about raw resources. So unlike a lot of countries out there, we've kind of got it all. We've got timber and minerals out west. We've got the breadbasket and that Ogallala Aquifer in the Plain States. We've got the mighty Mississippi and the Ohio Rivers for internal navigation. We've got, my goodness, tremendous energy sources in states like New Mexico, Texas, and Louisiana. The southern states, while we're down here, boy, those offer us some pretty great climates and very good soil. And then, of course, the eastern seaboard. That gives us some tremendous fish stocks and great mineral deposits, especially in Appalachia. In other words, we've got a lot of the key ingredients or assets that help explain part of the reason why, strategically, we have become very powerful since our founding. But all those advantages and all those assets, Jason, they mean nothing unless you've got a functional government that is centered in law and order, which is perhaps the greatest gift or asset that we have of all. It's our Constitution. That's what makes us great. Because from that Constitution and the law and order, that stability, we create communities. And those create businesses and schools that leverage all those assets that I mentioned to create innovation in things like medicine and art and technology of all kinds to include military technology. But getting back to your question, Jason, there is one asset that any country has got to have to defend their nation. And here it is, the will to fight. And that comes down to loving your country. You've got to be willing to die for your friends and your family and your country because, well, fundamentally, you've assimilated with everyone and everything, and you think it is all very exceptional and worth dying for. And you get that assimilation, that shared love of country, from things like a common language, a a celebration of your history, some, some common values through things like religion or the law or just common sense. And through that assimilation you eventually create a country that embraces our old traditional motto of e pluribus unum, out of many one, later, of course, to be replaced with in God we trust. Now, to be clear, we have been wildly imperfect at living up to those two mottos, haven't we? But I think that most folks would agree that for much of our history, certainly recent history, we've encouraged each other to strive for both of those things and to assimilate and to love our country. But I think that we are losing that will to fight and the foundations for it. Let me just offer you a couple of examples, three. First, about 10 years ago, the University of California advised its staff not to use the phrase melting pot because that, they said, is a microaggression and it is offensive to people all throughout this country as they try to retain their ethnic identities. In other words, no assimilation because assimilation is bad. We all have to remain separate. Next, three years ago, the Smithsonian Museum of African-American History released some guidelines where they identified their values as black Americans, and they contrasted them with white people and white values. Well, as it turns out, they said the white values were bad. Those bad white values included things like a nuclear family with a mom and a dad. Next was hard work. That's bad, apparently. Third, respecting authority. Next, English common law. 
Fifth, objective, rational thinking. That's bad, apparently, in white. And finally, my personal favorite, being polite. Those are all apparently white values, and they're bad, at least according to the folks at the Smithsonian Museum for African American History. For what it's worth, after that list was published a couple, a couple of years ago, it got a ton of backlash, which was appropriate, and the museum apologized. Finally, let's think about this. We are seeing, I think, a loss of law and order in this country and even constitutional rights. So I think examples abound on this one, but here are just a couple of examples. We had the lawlessness of both the FBI and the Department of Justice in the 2016 presidential campaign. Or I think we could look to our southern border where people are flooding into this country by the millions who have absolutely no interest in becoming Americans. They are here only for jobs and money. Or consider where they go. The very idea of sanctuary cities, where politicians harbor illegal migrants for political gain, all related to that census. We talked about that back on August 3rd and August 10th. But the point, Jason, is this. We still have some very important and wonderful strategic assets that will help us defend this nation and keep her strong if we are ever invaded. Again, we have that great geography. We have fantastic resources. But we've also got problems. Right? We are watching our Constitution come under attack. We are losing law and order. And those bonds of affection for each other and for this country, those bonds are coming undone. They're being frayed. In other words, tribalism is in and being patriotic is out. But here's the deal. We can get it back. All of it can be restored. We just have to start. And we do that first in our own local communities. We take the reins of power in our city halls and school boards and county commissions. And then we expand that control to our state houses, the governor's office. And by doing that, ladies and gentlemen, state by state, we can bring back the America that so many of us grew up with and still love. We can make America a more perfect union. It's just going to take a little bit of elbow grease and a lot of hard work, but we can get it back. In that, I have faith. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude your morning brief. As always, I will see you tomorrow, God willing. Until then, I leave you with the creed of every good spy and every wise American. They're the words from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Good day. <laughs>